to be a wall right here. And I just want to tell you, there's, there's something we've never, in, in you know, years I've been here, we've never been able to do something that I really want us to, to take seriously in this moment right now. And that is to fly a blimp from this side of the room to that side of the room. <laughs> I don't know if it'll make it. <laughs> it still may not happen. There we go. <laughs> the dream is may not. <laughs> not enough of you believe it can happen. Yeah, if a blimp wants that wall down. But here, can we get that thing to come backwards, dude? Nope. <laughs> yeah, I still got to give a message here in a second. I got to teach. Can we turn it around? That can turn around. Okay, you're going to bounce it off the wall there and turn it. Here it comes. Oh. You just got to believe, people. Some of you don't believe. That... <laughs> Okay, if it gets low enough to you, throw it across to the other side of the room. This is a wonderful success. This is just unbelievable. Oh, 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 oh. More of you are believing. I love that it has those lights as if it, like, you know. Oh, here we go. Speaking of lights, you! Okay, here we go. Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Watch out, don't trip. Oh. oh. Wow, can you park it on the other side of that thing? Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, the blimp. <laughs> yeah. Every, yeah, every, it's usually the second, if you're new with us, the second Sunday of every month, we always do the blimp. So that's what people are waiting for. Uh, <laughs> and some of you are like, I hate this. I'm never coming back here again. I, I realize. Um, but we actually, we were going to fly a drone back and forth, but drones are getting, getting a lot of bad press. So we're like, let's do something more. Nobody's afraid of a blimp, you know what I mean? But um, actually, the Irvine campus had, had a blimp, so we stole it. And we just put it here and... Literally, it's from something we're like, we got to use the blimp. So, yes, we don't always do that. If you're expecting that every week, sorry to disappoint, but that was the blimp. All right, now, where was I going with this? Okay, there really is no point of the blimp except to show that we could fly it across, and that was it. All right? Now, all of you who came in, in your bulletin, which is just this new sheet of paper, we're trying to cut down on the amount of stuff we're printing. A lot of you have been asking about that, actually. Um, but in that, so right now we're taking our existing, folding, our existing paper stuff and folding it around this sheet of paper. So... We're getting there, all right? Eventually we'll have a digital outline and all kinds of stuff. But for now, it's just this plus some other things. Now, one of the things you got in there was a hello, my name is, name tag. And you also probably got, at least some of you got a Sharpie when you came in. Let me just tell you really quickly, some of you thought, sweet, a Sharpie, I'm stealing that. Okay, um, please don't steal it. Those are actually really expensive. So we got enough of them for everybody to use one today or at least most of you to share it. Um, but here's what I want you to do. Um, to this, this next couple weeks that we call fall kickoff, sort of really which is the beginning of the year. I mean, we, January, yes, is actually the beginning of the year. But really everybody gets, you know, new shoes and a haircut in September and not in January. And so it's really the beginning of the year in so many ways. So here's what we're going to do. This is a gift to you. 
We don't always do this. We, it's not like we every week have name tags. There are churches who do that. Um, I have, I, you know, it's not, well, it won't be us probably. Maybe it will be. But for now, for three weeks, we're going to wear name tags. Okay, and here's why. Now, maybe, do we, have enough, do we have enough name tags for three weeks? We do? Okay, great. For three weeks, maybe two weeks, depending on how, how much hysteria we get about this. But anyway, um, here's what I want you to do. This, this week is a gift to you because there are people in this room who you know and you don't know their name. And you should know their name. And, they're gonna, they're, and you, you say hi to them and you should know their name, but it's been too long that you can't ask them their name again. <laughs> and so you're like, oh my gosh, we were like, we did some, we, our kids went on something together or we went and served at a project in Mexico together or something like that. But I can't for the life of me remember that guy's name, but he is cool. You know what I mean? So you, you don't know if someone's name is like Christine or Christina or something, something like that too. Or it's like, Christine, what's up? You don't know how to like, does that last little schwa sound actually fit? Is that really her name, Christine? So you're trying to figure that stuff out. So this is my gift to you. Everybody right now, put your own name on a name tag. Okay, now here's, as you're doing this, I'm going to give you some ground rules. Don't write a nickname. Don't like, I always wanted to be called Wolfman. Okay, don't write Wolfman, okay. You know, like you just have to be your name. Now if you want to write a nickname, okay, here's the only provision. You'll let, you have to let someone else write the nickname for you, okay? And they get to choose it. No, 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 you're not Wolfman. You're Bubbles. You know, or whatever it is, okay? Now, wear the name tag. Here's the deal. You are committing by wearing this name tag not to walk up to someone else and go, do you remember my name? <laughs> okay, that's the ultimate cruelty, okay? We're all, every, the playing field is level. Everybody put it in a place where you can, you know, you can show it off. People can, don't chastise anybody for looking at it. Like when you, you know, when they come up to you and say, oh my gosh, great to see you. And they give a quick glance at the name tag. Don't like, uh, don't give them a look of shame like, you had to look, didn't you? You had to look at my name tag, didn't you? Don't give them that, okay? Everybody understand? Cool? Cool. Okay, good. Some of you aren't so sure about whether or not that's cool. All right, now, um, one of the things I do is I, as I go away, I go and visit churches. And I, I try to visit at least four or five every year. Um, some years I get to visit as many as like 11 or 12. This year I visited about six, church, six churches. And um, about six. Like one of them wasn't a church. I just visited. I walked around. No, no. I actually went to six churches. And one of the things I realized is I'm walking and, you know, kind of encountering these churches. And, and a couple things. One is, you know, I, I, every church I go to, in every place I've been, I always have something to learn. I, I never go to a place and go, I, I have, these people have nothing to teach me. This is horrible. Every, and every, every place I go, I learn something about God. I learn something about myself. I learn something about the church. And the truth is people love their church. They really do. All over, wherever church I go to, people love their church. And it's really encouraging. But as I go to these churches, I get this sense that what's actually happening as I go to them, is the church is actually kind of making an introduction of itself to me. Now, whether or not they intend to, they are. So I go to a church. However, I, you know, if they greet me, one church we went to, the, um, this, this old lady at the front door, she just, decided that me and Amanda needed to be hugged. So we were hugged. It was like, hey, how's it going? She was like, welcome to our church. And I was like, well, thank you, old lady. You know, you're so sweet. You know, and then she hugged my wife and Amanda's like, I'm not sure I wanted to be hugged. And I'm like, I'm not sure I did either. But it was nice that she tried to hug me. And, you know, I wasn't going to run away from her, like, you know, get away. But everybody introduces themselves in some way. The church introduces itself to me in some way. Whether or not they try to, they try to introduce themselves. However it is, they just, it just comes across, this is who we are. And I started to think a little bit about kind of who we are. When people come into our church, there's, you know, new folks all the time. You guys are great at inviting people and all that kind of stuff. But I, I always, that's kind of like part of the spirit of our church is inviting folks. But I feel like, so some of you may be in the situation. You might be going, what is this church really about? You know, so far all I know about this church is they used to have a wall and now they have a blimp. And that's like, that's all you know right now. about. And is this place I really want to be connected in. But you're asking the questions. You know, who are we? When we actually start talking about ourselves, is this something you want to associate with? 
When we make an introduction, are you going, well, this is what we ought to say. You know, for you, if this is your own church, you're saying, if I'm introducing our church to other people, what is it that I want to represent about our church? How would it be represented? And so this is kind of where I started with, when I was thinking about this week, as we started in the series called Hello, My Name Is. One of the questions I want to wrestle with is, hello, my name is Mariners Mission Viejo. What does that mean? What does that look like? And some of you who are trying to, again, trying to figure out if you want to be connected with us, you're going, I'm looking forward to this introduction to see if this is something I really do want to be a part of. Because my guess is that if you were here, there's something you're looking for that you haven't yet found and you want to know if maybe in some way or another this is a church that might point you toward that thing. So very excited about this series. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more how it's specific to you. But today, it's just going to be about how does our church introduce itself. So let's pray. We'll get into it. Jesus, we are grateful that we get a chance to be here. We're grateful of the work you're doing in our church. Father, we have this physical representation of you breaking down things that get in the way of access to you. We see, Father, that there once was a wall and there is now a space for us to worship in. And, Father, we're grateful. Jesus, I know that everybody in this room at some level is looking to make a positive contribution in their life to something. They're looking for meaningful connection and significance in their lives. And they want to see transformation. And, Jesus, we know at some level we cannot do it on our own and we need you. And so, Father, today as we consider the fact that you are at work in us and that you are not yet done, Jesus, would you remind us in a moment of stillness of that work that you're intending to do? And Jesus, would you meet us here? Would you speak to us and give us a sense, Jesus, that you're in our midst and that you're not yet done with us? So, Father, sir, we just give you a few seconds to do that in silence. Father, we believe that whatever it is that you are doing to us and in us, that it is also intended to be through us. Might we, Father, receive from you this great gift of your presence and might it be known through the blessing we share with other people with great courage, with great boldness, and with great joy. In your name, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, wrapped around that sheet of the outline that we now have, there are a bulletin, there's an outline wrapped around you. I'm going to grab that, take it out. If you want to follow along in your Bible, will be in Ezekiel 47 and John chapter 7. If you don't know what those are or what that is, don't worry. It's on your bulletin there's a, or on your outline. Everything else you'll need will be on the screen so you can follow along however you need. Um, so as you're getting kind of that prepared. Um, I, was, I was thinking about this past summer, I was in Texas, and, um, you know, my, my kids do this, well, I should start this way. I, with my own kids... By the way, I just realized, this is a total side note, I just realized if people are going to listen to this podcast later on and they're going to hear, they're going to hear a bunch of stuff about a blimp flying around the room, they are just going to be completely purple. I just dawned on me. They're going to be like, there is no clear explanation for a blimp flying around in a room. But that's, I just realized that. So if you're listening on the podcast later on, <laughs> we had a blimp. Okay. Now, one of the things I do with my kids, I'm sure your parents did it with you or you're doing it with your own kids or grandparents. It tends to be dads and grandfathers tend to be the most serious about this in most cases, though not always. But they try to help their kids or grandkids learn how to introduce themselves to other people. And my own kids know, like when we pull up in our car to, you know, like uh, someone's house, like a stranger's house, like, stranger, like we're going to pull up to a stranger's house. <laughs> hey kids, everybody get out. We're going to go out to this is a stranger's house. Everybody go in and play. Just have fun. <laughs> Someone they don't know, but we know. <laughs> Not a stranger. But we go to someone's house. Inevitably, they, they know the moment the car stops, before the doors open. Because we have like a super, you know, spy plane, you know, minivan which the doors pop open and, you know, back to the future style open up. So they wait for me to, you know, they can't get out yet. So they're trying to get the door open. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. They're like, we know, Dad. I'm like, what do you know? Look people in the eye. Good. What else? 
Shake their hand. Good. What else? Say, it's nice to meet you. Good. All right. You can get out now. And then they go in and write, and hopefully they remember some of it, you know. Now, we're in Texas with my, my in-laws. And we go to this, their little country club thing, and they're, you know, we're meeting all these folks that my, my kids are never going to run into ever again in their life. And I'm always telling, they know, so like, but I tell them, well, you're in the car with grandma and grandpa are in the car. And I go, kids. And they go, we know. Shake their hand, look them in the eye, say it's nice to meet you. Exactly, all right, great. And so we get out of the car. We go to the, sit at this table, and inevitably, of course, my, my in-laws' friends, again, who my kids will never meet ever again, never remember at all, come over, and they start swarming around trying to meet the grandkids. And my kids nail it. They're perfect. Hi, great to meet you. I'm Dylan. Have you met my sister, Molly? And she's like, she's like, hi, very nice to meet you. And they're all, I mean, I was like, oh, what is up? Someone be capturing this, please, on Instagram and repost this. This is just so rad. So then they just go, they had all the kids. And they, like, my kids were dynamite. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, he's, he's a grandfather. And he goes, I got to tell you, we've been working with my son and my grandkids. And they cannot, they just, he just doesn't seem to care about this. And again, you can tell it's a little accent right there, right? He doesn't seem to care about this. But your kids, man, they are great. Man, that's awesome. Uh, which is what you say at the end of everything that's great in Texas is, man, that's awesome. Just so you know. Okay, everybody says that. I don't care how old you are. Man, that's awesome. And he just goes, man, that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I just, I basically, I basically do this. Well, yeah, they always do that. <laughs> they're just all, that's how they introduce themselves all the time. You know, they just, they're, I mean, <laughs> I hear some parents actually have issues with their kids. We don't. It's so great. So weird how people have that. But we're kind of perfect. But. I want them to make an introduction because when, an introduction, when they make an introduction, what they're saying is, you know, this is, this is who I kind of am. This is the sort of trailer of the movie of my life. And I, what you get is a little piece of me that maybe in some way you go, I'm more interested in what more of whatever it is that you are. The church is no different. Here's who we kind of are. Here's kind of the trailer of our own life. I, I was thinking about, you know, some of you I know, by the way, I, I, this is an insane group of people. And I know you're going to be afraid now that I've told you to raise your hand because I just called you insane. But it's okay. How many of you guys intentionally or you either, intentionally or I should say this way, it doesn't matter to you if you miss the trailer, you try to miss trailers on purpose for movies because you don't care. You'd rather just be there. Right when the movie starts, skip the trailers. What is wrong with you people? It's like they give you 10 or 15 more minutes of free movie as far as I'm concerned. I love the trailers. I love to listen to people who are insecure that they might like a movie but they have to shout out out loud, oh, that looks so stupid or whatever. And you're like, you're going to see that. I'll see you there with a tear in your eye, bud. You know, you just know, Okay. I love that. I love the trailer. And I love the idea of like, I'm going to see that movie or I'm not going to see that movie. I just love all of that stuff. The trailer is the beginning of a story. It's an invitation to a story. The same way an introduction is. So when the church introduces itself to you or someone that you brought, what they're actually saying is, is there enough here that makes me want more of it? Because some people will say, I've seen the trailer and I've seen people that like these kinds of movies, so to speak, and I don't want any more of it. And I get it. But a trailer... An introduction, simply this. An introduction is simply an invitation to a story. There is something that's happening in this place. There's something that's going on in this place. And I wonder what people are going is, do I want to be part of that story? Do I want to have my own life intersected with this story? Because if I don't, then I'm out of here. But if there's something compelling about it, then I want to stay with it. Now, I was thinking about how do we describe the story of what really what we're doing here. And it's going to be, so I'm going to tell you right now. It's going to be a little bit of heavy lifting and some weird Bible stuff. You're going to be like, where are we going? 
It's like the blimp kind of crashed into the wall over there for a little bit. I promise it will make sense, but you're going to have to hang with me. It's going to be a little bit of some dense sort of stuff here. So you have to read with me and hang out with me. So first, we're going to be in Ezekiel. Now, I'll tell you about Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a prophet. A prophet is a person who speaks the words of God. Not always are there words about the future. Sometimes people think prophets are only telling about future stuff. Like that's prophecy. Prophecy is... In addition to that, it's also just speaking the truth of God to people with authority, from God's authority. That's it. This is why Jesus keeps getting called over and over again. He might be a prophet because he's speaking God's truth. Right? Now, Ezekiel's writing at a time where he's, the, 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 his own people have been kicked out of their land. They've been invaded twice now. And they're, um, during the course of his writing and the course of his life, he's been captured. His wife dies. And the, the temple where he worshipped has um, been under siege and has fallen. So he is like, there's only one temple for these people, by the way. And they're like, it's gone. And so it's a dark and desperate and lonely time. They're living outside of their homes and they are scared for their lives. And here's what he writes in Ezekiel 47. Check this out. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold. Now you're like, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, what's happening here? Let me back up. Ezekiel's been given a vision. This is how God's speaking to him about something that's going to happen in the future. The man is just referred to as sort of this angelic spirit guide. I don't know how you else you describe it. But this is a person guiding him through this vision that he's having. And here's what he sees. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This is the temple in all its glory. This is where God is worshipped. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. Now, uh, the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Now, I have to tell you about the temple too. The temple is not just simply, it's not just simply a building where people worship. When the... When the Bible describes God's presence, it describes God's presence in two ways, primarily. One way is in God's what's called omnipresence, his everywhere presence all the time, forever and ever. That's omnipresence, right? Then there's another kind of presence in which God is up close, right with his people, in and among his people. That's called his manifest presence. That God's presence, while it's sometimes forever, can also be experienced, or forever and always for everywhere, it also can be right in our midst very tangibly. That's called the manifest presence. Now, God's manifest presence was believed to have resided within the temple itself at that place. And the only reason why the temple could ever have fallen or been broken or been shattered or whatever you want to call it, or invaded, is because the, there's only one reason, that God's presence had left them. The manifest presence had left them for whatever reason. So then all of a sudden there's the people take it out and the people now go, our God is no longer in our midst in the way that he used to be. So when Ezekiel's writing about this man giving him this tour of the temple right here, and he's looking at the, all of this stuff, he's envisioning something where God is supposed to reside in and among his people. You with me? Some of you are like, not totally. It's okay, it'll make sense in a little bit, all right? Now, God's supposed to reside there. The temple's been destroyed. There's all kinds of stuff there. The now he's seeing water coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Verse 2. Then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate, facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. So there's water in the temple. And now he's outside and there's water trickling outside the temple. Uh, let's see. As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and led me there through water that was ankle deep. Now what you see here, a thousand cubits is about a third of a mile. So there's this man giving him this tour of the temple. And he's seen a trickle of water. Now, anytime in a desert community, you guys, when you have water trickling, even if it looks like the ever horrible foundation leak, which appears to be here, right? Like, oh no, we're in trouble. We're called the insurance company, whatever. It's like, it's always good. Nobody ever says, oh no, water. 
okay. It's all, I mean, this is like in a desert land, people that are away from their homes, people that are, have been the, have living with the feeling of being abandoned by God. The idea of water is a sign of great hope in the desert. And now, as they measure out a third of a mile from the temple, they're at ankle deep water. Keep on reading. Verse 4, he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. So the water starts as a trickle from the temples is the vision he's getting. And now he's walked two-thirds of a mile and then he's, you know, whatever, do your math, another thousand cubits after that. And he's out, out in the middle of this, of sort of this plain or whatever and it's, the water is now waist deep. Now just for a moment, think for a second. For water that starts with a trickle to be that deep. It has to have been trickling for a long time, which is pointing to some kind of something long-lasting, eternal in nature even, about what's happening with this water. And you're seeing now that the water is getting so deep that it's up to this guy's waist. Keep on reading. He measured off another thousand. But now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen. The water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. So let me just kind of, oh, and he asked me, son of man, which is just a title that prophets often get. Son of man, do you see this? Like, he's having this unbelievable vision of hope. Water flowing everywhere, and he's like, you catching all this? You see it, you, you see in this? There's water everywhere. Now, here's what I want you to capture, okay, just really quickly. There's a lot we read there. There is this vision of the temple which has been destroyed. God is giving him a picture of what is to happen, but there's something, there's some kind of, emanating goodness. There's something about God's blessing that's going to flow out from the temple. And it starts out looking like it's a little trickle, trickle like it's just a dripping little water hose. And then it's a ankle deep water, then it's knee deep, then it's waist deep, and then it's a river that cannot be crossed. Now, by the time the, by the, time the water gets to be a river, you have to imagine, as people are seeing and imagining this, hearing Ezekiel's words, part of them is beginning to understand the, the word imagery here. Because if it's just a trickle or just a creek, people can dam it or they can levy it or they can do whatever they want to try to control it for their own garden. But when it's a river, that blessing is intended for far more than one person or a few people. That it's intended to go out into the land, out into places where people who may or may not have ever even been to the temple, so to speak, are going to be blessed by this river. It's going to be bigger than any one person can control. You have this picture now that there's something about this river that's unstoppable, it's unpassable, uncrossable. This imagery shows up a lot in the Bible. You have Jesus speaking about his own kingdom like it's a mustard seed that's planted and then becomes this tree which can house animals in it. The book of Daniel talks about a stone that becomes a mountain. You have this picture that from very small things, very uncontrollable and huge things come. And so there is this picture then of this river which is flowing out into the community, into the, into the surrounding areas. Verse 6 and 7, then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. There are no great trees in the desert where, where this is being described, this vision is being described. There is only desolation and loneliness. Stay with me, I know you're getting, you're getting tired. Where's this going? Verse 8, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the uh, Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Let me tell you about the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is 25% minerals, meaning it's like... To give you by comparison, the ocean is 5% uh, mineral salt. So it's five times saltier than the ocean. And the only thing that lives there is nothing. There's nothing that lives in the Dead Sea. It's just rocks. Some of you have been there. It's just like, I, I haven't been there yet. But it's like, there's just, it's this super salty mineral infestation. There's nothing can live there. And here's what it's now saying. 
there's so much water that in the Dead Sea where the salt is so incredible. Actually, my buddy brought back a vial of the salt water from the Dead Sea. He's like, taste this. And I literally almost fell over. It's so gross. It's so strong. And they're saying now the water there is so overwhelmed with fresh water, it becomes fresh. Look at this. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So wherever the river flows, everything will live. In a desolate place where there is no life, a sea that is called the Dead Sea is going to be teeming with life. Which means this blessing that flows out from this temple is going to bestow upon wherever it lands a refreshing, new, regenerating power of restoration and life. Even in the Dead Sea itself where there's nothing has ever lived. Now there's swarms of living creatures. Verse 10 keeps on going. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to, Eg- to en Eglaim. And there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt because they need some salt. So it's like awesome. Like someone, like you can tell, you can imagine the, like the, as he's getting the tour, like, wait, wait, we're going to need some salt. Okay, we can leave some marshes for some salt. Okay, then, okay, great. Verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Notice that he, this highlighting again. The water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. The picture is of a... Area-wide, regional-wide kind of blessing. A picture in which people, all things are, be, are given a new life. Everything that was once dead is teeming with life. Now sum up. Really quick, this long passage of a lot there. You're going, where's this going? Let me sum this up. This is a prophet living in exile among his people. God has been speaking to him about a number of things that he's saying to these people. Some of these things he's saying aren't real popular, by the way. And he's saying these things to the people and he gets this vision about a future in which the temple which has been destroyed while he's in exile, the temple's been destroyed. He's getting a vision of another temple perhaps. Maybe it's, we're not really sure whether it's the next temple or it's the present temple. But he's got this vision of a temple and in some way or another he sees this water flowing out into the land and people being blessed beyond even his own reach. Not just his own people but the whole land being blessed. It's so big is the water that it cannot be controlled and everyone apparently benefits from it. It cannot be damned or controlled. It's just spilling over. Now, the time of Jesus, people are wanting and longing for the time when God's restoration comes in its symbolic power and in its real literal power. They're longing for a way in which restoration is going to happen because they've been in exile for so long. Even at the time where they have this, uh, this what's called the second temple, even if, while they have this other temple, they still imagine because the Romans are in charge We don't really have everything back and nothing's been restored. And they're longing for this time to see this sort of thing happen. At the time of, uh, during the particular feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a feast that celebrates God's provision in the wilderness. A tabernacle is a tent. So the people would set up these tents and then they would acknowledge God's provision in the wilderness for them. And during this time, it was known that rabbis would go into this, what's called the, the Pool of Siloam and they would take jars, big jars of water, and they would pour the water out on the, store, on the steps of the temple as if to symbolize this moment, anticipating and longing for God's refreshing power to come in and sweep through. Now, at this same exact time, the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7, Jesus begins to speak, and here's what he says. On the last and greatest day of the festival, this is the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
Now, this is very bizarre. Jesus is speaking as if he were the temple itself. Which people are like, you can't really say that. You're a, you're a dude. I mean, we, we know you. You're a guy. Like, you can't be a temple. And he's like, he starts saying this kind of bizarre stuff. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Not just to them. But that rivers of water will flow from within them, which means there's some kind of river flowing out. If you grew up in church, anywhere in the 80s and up, there was a song we all say, probably late 70s even. If you grew up in like a youth group. I got a river of life flowing out of me. There you go. Keep, don't keep going because now you're going to keep going, right? We don't, you don't need, but you get, makes, there's a river of life flowing out of me. This is what he's talking about now. Okay, now check this out. For some reason I didn't put this in your outline. I don't know why. Verse 39. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now what he's saying is there's going to be a moment. Oh, so I'll just put it right back here. There's going to be a moment in which you're going to have a kind of life flowing out of you. A river flowing out of you. Which means he's starting to identify the people as the bearers of God's manifest presence within them. Remember, all the imagery up to this point has been there's a building and there's some water flowing out of it. And now Jesus says, if you believe in me, you're going to have this, what we call the indwelling, as a sort of Jesus-y spiritual word, this indwelling of this Holy Spirit. And he's going to do something in which it's going to feel like and be like and actually become a river of life flowing out of you. Verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Meaning this is a person who speaks on God's behalf. Others said, he's the Messiah. This is God's chosen person for the rescue of the whole world. Still others said, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Which is like, hey, we know that neighborhood. <laughs> not a chance Messiah's coming from there. <laughs> I mean, he might be the guy, but that's not, no, he, he can't be from Galilee. Because we've been there and it's terrible, okay. Verse 43, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. They don't know what to do because he's saying these things. I'm the temple, I'm giving you all this water, all this life. And then he says, you're going to have this water, this kind of life flowing out of you. Later, the apostle Paul will pick up the same thing as the people are divided about all this kind of stuff. Paul will pick up the same idea. And what he'll say is that this water, this restoration, this hope, this restoration for the whole world, for a thirsty world that comes from Jesus will dwell in people. For those who would trust in Jesus. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You are the temple. The building is not the temple. The people are the temple. Continuing on. Paul will later write in Ephesians 2. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are the dwelling of God's spirit. Hebrews 3 will say this, the author writes this, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and we are his house. The whole picture we're getting to, this whole, this all of where you're going, where are you going, where are you going with this whole thing? The whole picture of a river, the whole picture of this holy kind of water that's emanating out and blessing the whole world. Jesus identifies himself with that. And then he says, if you're connected with me, you too have that same water. It is within you. And the intention is that. You, too, would bless the whole world. Let me try to sum it up a little bit. If God is intending to overflow with blessing from his temple to all the world, and we are the temple, 
which was just repeated by Paul a few times there in the writer of Hebrews, then we are intended to overflow with blessing to all the world. Okay, so I'm going to do this again. When I go to visit some of these churches, there are times when people in these churches, I realize it's kind of awesome. Maybe because I'm visiting them, I thought maybe it might happen here. Is that when something is like really great that gets said, someone will go, woo, like that. There's at least one person will go, woo, like that. So we're going to try this one more time, okay. This is a big statement about what our church, when I'm introducing our church to people, this is the one, this is the thing I want them to hear. Okay, so we're going to try that again. All right, here we go. Prepare yourselves. At least one of you has to do this. If God is intending to overflow with blessing from his temple to all the world, and we are the temple, not yet, (laughs) to do it all over again. Okay, now pay attention. (laughs) Here we go. If God is intending to overflow with blessing from his temple to all the world, and we, us, this broken down group of people who are a work in progress, are that temple, then we are intended to overflow with blessing to all the world. Yes! That's exactly right. That is a good thing. It means that, now remember, this is where it gets a little tricky. Because if we are truly going to be the kind of people as a church... Where the whole world is blessed, it means people with whom we have grudges are going to be blessed. It means people, (laughs) woo, I love those people. Okay, cool. You're awesome. We don't believe you, but that was awesome. People who don't like us, people we don't like, people with whom we have history, mistakes we've made, regrets we have, all those people with whom we've been embarrassed, they're going to be blessed. With people we hate, disagree with, people who come, come at us from different political parties, they're going to be blessed too because we have this understanding that God is overflowing with blessing. And it, woo, high, some high school students, perfect, woo, okay, good, yeah. There is a sense then that we don't get simply to build up a few rocks and make a little levee that corrals the water for ourselves such that we can contain it. I, you know, I, we're in a drought, I know you're like, see, we're in a drought, we should keep the water or not, whatever, okay. Let that analogy go, okay. There's going to be so much water, you will be an absurd person to try to contain it for yourself. There will be more than enough. There will be more than enough. And I think about what I think about our church. I think about this, this phrase, hello, my name is. I think this, hello, my name is Mariner's Church. This is what I wanted to say. We are a group of people who are overflowing with God's blessing. We don't even really know how to contain it. And whoever might receive that blessing through us, we call it our honor to be able to bless them. Woo is right. Woo. So I don't know whether or not you're sure about Mariner's Church. I can tell you that there's lots of things that we don't do perfect. Some of you are like, I know. I try. There's just lots. I know that's not perfect. But this is our intention. That people would recognize having come in contact with us that they have been blessed because they've been a part of your life. You are the church, you are the temple, and God is overflowing from you to bless the world. That's great. Yes. Now we're clapping. Look at this. Where am I? Yes. Okay. There is water unstoppably and uncontrollably emanating from the temple, which is us, to the world, to people who are thirsty. You know people in your life who are thirsty and they are longing to taste something different than what the world offers that will restore them. Because the world simply is not enough. Now I want to tell you a couple ways in which we're going to do this. Okay, now again, this is a little bit of like, I'm going to try to, this, is, this all ties to this, this statement I just gave you. And so just hang with me for a little bit. One of the things I'm realizing is I'm looking at our church as we're continuing to grow. Okay, as you can see, we have, you know, we, we're 
we just added all these seats and did this. There's like, we have only a little bit of room to grow in here. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening. We're already expanding. There's things that are going on. One of the things I want you to capture is this. I think one of the things that we're doing is as, the, as our organism organization gets a little bigger, either one, organism, organization, doesn't matter. As it gets bigger, one of the things we have to do is help create better pathways for people to get involved. Right now I'm meeting with people in our church who are leaders, who are passionate, who have gifts of like leadership and administration. I'm meeting with those folks and we're talking about ways, better ways for you and your friends that you're inviting to be included and involved better. We're developing better systems for that kind of stuff. This year will be a year in which we figure out better ways to do that. That's a commitment to you. Second, I think there are a number of people in this room who are leaders who are sitting on their gifts. There are people in this room who have great influence who are going, I'm not sure if I want to get involved in another church. I've been in other churches before. Or I'm not sure what I should do. I don't know what that means. Let me just tell you really quickly. When we start talking about leadership, we're talking first and foremost in the Bible about serving. If you're a person who is going, I don't know if I can do anything, but I, I just don't know where to start. Start with serving. I talked to someone last service who said, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this thing. I was, she's talking about maybe taking on a big step in um, helping out with some elderly folks. She has a real passion for shut-ins. And she goes, I didn't know if I should do it, but you said some of us are sitting on our own gifts and our own passions and we need to put them to use. So we're trying to figure out what that might look like. Some of you are in exactly the same boat. And this is a time, this is a year in which if the blessing of, God, of God's blessing to us is going to really truly become through us, you're going to need to step up. Some of you are like, I wonder if he's talking to me. If you ask that question, yes, I'm talking to you. Okay. If you just said, I wonder if he's talking, that's, yep, there's your answer. Next, as part of this idea of overflowing a blessing, one of the things I want to sort of give to our church that you are already so great at, but I want to sort of ramp it up to another level, is the idea of being known as a church that's making its introduction as people who are wild about invitation. People don't always want to come, but they do want to be invited. People are not offended when you, when they sit, when you hear them at work and they say, I'm just going through a really tough time, I don't know what to do. And you say, look, I don't know, it does sound really tough. I don't know how to really even begin, but I just want to let you know, I've, I've been going to this, I've been going to a church that's really helped me. Would you ever want to come with me? And they might say, no, I don't. But they might say, I've always wanted to go, which is actually more typical. I've always wanted to go and I never knew how to go. What do I have to wear? Are they going to make me say thou instead of you? Or can I actually say hello and good morning? Or do I have to say hello, good morning, and yes, I've been washed by the blood of the lamb or something crazy? Like, well, I don't know what that means. No, no, it's going to be no weird speech. Like, but you get to give people a sense that they could just walk in here. Normal people, work in progress kind of people. You got a second, um, you got a second name tag in your bulletin or attached to your bulletin. Pull that out. Hold it for a second. You probably put it on the floor like, I don't need to. I only have one name. Okay. Just pull that other one out. Here's what I want you to do. You also still have a Sharpie unless you tried to pocket it. Don't steal our Sharpies. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to write on that name tag the name of someone else who is dying of thirst. Longing to be connected. Longing for restoration. Longing for hope. Someone who's never been or has been a long way from being at church. Now, I want you to write their first name. Don't write their last name. Don't write their contact information. If you're afraid because people are going to see you write the name, just write their initials, you know, like JP. Sorry if your name's JP, but we know what you did, JP. No, just kidding. <laughs> right. Write their name on there, and I want to tell you what we're going to do with it. Just write it on there right now. It's like, you know, just put it on there. I know you're like, is he serious? I'm really serious. Write their name on that name tag. You're like, but they're not here. I know. Stay with me. Okay. Maybe they are. You don't know it. Just kidding. Write a name. Write a name down. What I want to do is this. 
this is, a, this, is an, this is a spiritual act for you that I want you to consider because inviting people is a courageous and beautiful thing. What we're going to do is this. Around our campus, you probably already saw some of them, but there are some posters that look like this right there. They're in the hallways. That's actually one, I think, from before even last service. What I want you to do is to take that name, that name and place it on there. Place it on, that, on the, any of these posters that look like this in the hallway. So as you're going to the bathroom, <laughs> on your way to the bathroom, not as you're going to the bathroom, those are different things. These posters are in much more visible areas. On your way to the bathroom, I want you to put that name on that poster. It's you saying, I'm a person who believes that what God's doing shouldn't be kept for just me and some people ought to be included in it and I want them to be here. You don't have to tell them, hey, I wrote your name on a name tag and put it there and everyone can see it. Or whatever. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to, if they, when they do come and you bring them, you don't have to go, hey, look, here you are, here on the wall. Now you might want to, but... You don't have to. But it is a way of saying really symbolically with an act of your own, your own sort of belief, you're actually saying, I'm going to be serious about this. I'm not going to keep this a secret. I'm not going to try to corral the water into my own garden. The water is for everybody. I'm going to invite people. You have, one of the things I think Hillary mentioned already too is at the top of your bulletin, you have this little tear off. You can use this. Some of you are like, I need something to give to someone. I don't know what to do. You can tear that off and give it to them. But just, it's a spirit of our own, like, Wild, joyful invitation. Next is this. I got two more things, okay. The way in which this whole thing plays out. One of these things is this. <clears throat> there is a, um, I, you know, one of the things I love about our church is we tend to defy the trends. Oftentimes the criticism of the church globally, or glo the church, not globally, the church in America is that it's kind of a self-focused group that doesn't care about the community. You know, if there's anything that typifies the last couple years of our church together is that we're in the community for the community. We partner with schools and other local organizations. We've been, you know, we really took that, taken that seriously. This is part of what our job is to do. And so we're already a, a church that defies trends. One of the trends that's in the church is that the church is finding, the people in the church are deciding that they don't really want to be a part of the, of the joy of generous giving. But they're like, I don't really want to be a part of that. I have other things to do, other things to be a part of. I actually think for our own church, we can actually break that trend. We can be defiantly generous. That while the world is saying, hold on, to, hold on to your money and buy more stuff, either one of those two things are probably okay. The world is not saying, let go of the control that money has on your life by returning it back to God, by returning a portion of it back to God. I actually believe this is a church where, where a defiant generosity could break loose. I actually believe that. I think as we look at our own church and we start considering what that might mean, so many of us have the belief, the understanding that whatever we've been given it's just that just if I give any of it away, I'll lose everything. And we have a sense of maybe there's some sense of scarcity. And really what God says is there is so much abundance. It's flowing all around you. Now, I'm not, we're not a church that believes, and we don't preach this. If you give your money, you'll immediately have ten times that amount of money show up. And you're, you know, you're gonna, then you should immediately go play the lottery and you'll probably win. That's not what we say. Okay? There are churches I know that do say that kind of thing. Here's what we say. The Bible's pretty clear about when we give, it's the only thing God says, test me in this and see that I don't overflow your barns or overfill your barns to overflowing. Does it mean there's an exact ratio of giving and to his amount of money coming back? No, but I never have met someone who's been generous who said, I'm so sad I was generous. You know, everything else is going great in my life, but I realized I was just too generous. Oh, if I could have that back. People always say, I should never have bought that. But they almost never say, I should, have, I should not have been generous with those people. God does something so beautiful in generosity. 
And we are a church so committed that people should be joyful in our generosity that if you don't want to give because you're like, I just don't trust you or anybody else in here. I know what you're going to do with the money. I just know it. You're going to buy a blimp. We stole that blimp, okay. We didn't buy it. We stole it. Okay, so just so you know, we are totally ethical. Anyway, if you are so convinced that we're a corrupt organization, couple things. How long have you been attending our corrupt organization? And who knows what we're teaching your children in our corrupt organization, just to let you know. First question. Secondly is this. If you really don't, you're not sure. I, I am so committed to you becoming a generous person and believing what God wants to do with generosity. Don't give your money here. Find someone you believe in. Find an organization you believe in that you believe is doing more than what we can do with the, with the money that God's given you. And give, that, give your money to them and see what God, that, what God does in your life. I believe, I give my own money to our church. But I believe that the best work God can do is through the local church. I believe that the, the fastest, best, most beautiful work God can do is through the local church. As we've seen in our, even our communities and local schools and all kinds of stuff. But if you're not sure, here's what I want you to do. Here's the discipline. Go to your bank online, set it up to give 12 times this next year, once a month, to some organization that's not us and see what God does. Now, if you're convinced that this is actually a place where God's doing great stuff and you want to defy that trend of less and less giving, just go home to your bank, set it up 12 times a month and give to us, even if it's just a little bit, to see what happens what God does in your life. To give back to God. To be a part of what he's doing in this community. All right? Well, someone wooed that. Yes! Oh, you're my favorite, Christine. You're the best. Great. Now, next, this. People aren't sure what to do with the money. Last one is this. We are, the work that we're doing here will never be done. We will not say, hey, we've arrived. This is so great. We finally finished. Some of you are like, we saw the blimp. We're done. We're not done. There is already, there, we're already full in a, lot of, in a lot of ways in this room. There's so many, there, we just made all this, all this space and there's, we're already kind of getting close to capacity. So we're going to launch another service that begins on Thursday nights in October. Woo! You can do that, yeah. Thursday nights. And here's what that is. One of the most important things I've realized recently is this. We have a, we have a, we do a great job as a church for a lot of demographics. One, the one sort of group we kind of miss is the people between about 18 and 25. That there's a, there's a college, if you had, if you had a, if you had a good arm, you could probably throw a Frisbee and hit Saddleback College right here. And I feel like there's enough people in our church that fit in that demographic that aren't totally connected with each other. And so we went after, we did a little bit of research, and we figured out that Thursday nights at 7 o'clock is going to be a great time for those folks to come to church here. Now, it's going to be this Sunday's message. I'm going to give the Sunday message on Thursday. So the upcoming Sunday, I'll give that message. Um, and, you know, we're not going to check IDs. Like when you come to the door, like, wow, sir, you don't look like you're 25. <laughs> so we're not going to check IDs. But we realize there's just, here's a couple of things. There's not going to be child care for this. Um, and it was, you know, at 7 o'clock and we realized that, you know, college students eat dinner like at 10.30. And so they're like, you know, they're going to be able to come here and hang out and then go out with each other to do whatever stuff they want to do, whatever. But it's a real passion of mine. I feel like we have a great facility to be able to use that. We want to be a part of that. We're not done. We're never going to say, hey, we're done. There's still so much work to be done and so many people that are living in a thirsty land in which we go, how do we, how can we say we're ready to stop the river right here? The river is going beyond us and through us and we God is using his people to share and to extend blessing that is overflowing into the world. And that's what you get to be a part of. Cool? All right, let's pray. We got to sing. We're running a little over, but we got to sing. All right, let's, let's, let's pray and then we got to sing together. We got to respond. First, as your eyes are closed. And you're considering all of what this might mean. I know some of you are in a dry and thirsty place in your own lives. And you might need to have additional prayer to come forward and just with our prayer team to go and to, to pray with those folks. So I want to encourage you to do that. But for right now. Just in this moment, 
Would you pray with me? Jesus, you have, you have so over and abundantly blessed us with so much. We have so much to be grateful for, and there's so much that we can be excited about in the future, despite the fact, God, that we're still a work in progress, that you are not yet done with us. Jesus, thank you for the work that's apparent in our lives. Jesus, we are um, looking at our own community. And we can imagine those people who are lonely and thirsty and tired and hungry. And so, Father, in whatever way they might be any of those things, Jesus, we want to move toward them with an abundance of blessing and overflowing. Jesus, we take the responsibility seriously that you placed upon us. And we now respond to you as people who are sometimes longing for refreshment from our own thirst. And longing, Father, to see change being made in the world. So, Jesus, would you hear our song and hear our prayer as we set it to music. Might it be said in full voice. Might we respond with courage and with joy. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and